Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Boldrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we covered how do you pick which opportunities to work on and where to look for stranded assets. And in this episode, we are going to take a deep dive into how do you start your career, what kind of properties you should look for, and how this particular investor is dealing with our current situation. We are interviewing Eric Wang. Eric is a commercial real estate investor with a ton of experience in the institutional private equity space, totaling over $1 billion in transactions experience and asset management of multifamily office, retail, and hospitality properties. Eric is providing a ton of great insights, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today on such short notice. I have been trying to get people literally on the week that the episode goes out, just so the information is relevant during these times. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Why don't we get started with you sharing a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. No, I'm glad to participate. I I love the podcast and uh, thanks for having me on. I used to work in commercial real estate institutional more private equity funds. And that's where my learning experience came from. These were larger funds that invested in value-add projects around the West Coast. You know, I'm based here, in, like you, in San Francisco. Invested in office, retail, a little bit of hospitality, a little bit of industrial. So that's where my background was. I started with Prudential Real Estate Investors, now called PGIM. Still a very large investor. They just completed a huge industrial acquisition this past quarter. And then from there, I worked at Gaw Capital Partners, which is a major international firm based out of Hong Kong, but they have their offices here in Los Angeles. And I was in their San Francisco office working on acquisitions for them. And, uh, you know, I think just for some of your listeners, they wonder where all the background and experience comes from. I worked at these firms and, you know, not everybody has that opportunity, but these firms, you learn a lot, you know, working from other professionals and people who know what they're doing, who have a lot of experience, and that's just the best way to learn. From there, I decided to quit my job five years ago, start my own company, investing as a developer in the Bay Area on individual projects in areas that I care about, not out of a fund, but project by project. I've invested in office, multifamily, and now a a student housing project that I'm, I'm working on right now. And operate now as more of a, I guess, a small company or really a solopreneur. I have an intern that works with me right now, but that's been a decision that I've made just to keep things simple. I've seen other groups and firms manage, you know, actually really billions of dollars of real estate. Just, you know, they only need a few people, but I get to work on projects that that I care about and in markets that I care about here, uh, mostly in the East Bay here in the San Francisco Bay Area, where I thought there was a lot of upside and change and 
that's why I've been focused on the last uh, several years now. That's so awesome, Eric. And I know that a lot of our listeners can relate to where you are and basically running their own business. I would love to hear how, especially in the Bay Area, how do you determine a good project to take on? Because prices have been insane here, right? So you will need at least probably a couple of years to bring a project to fruition and find a tenant and things like that. So what are the key components that you look for on a particular property? Yeah, I guess, you know, just to backtrack, I mean, obviously today in coronavirus and people moving out of the Bay Area, I mean, it's pretty clear it's really difficult right now, but I just don't want to be too forgetful of the history of the Bay Area. In the past 10 years, I think it was undoubtedly one of the strongest markets in the world, right? You had all the tech talent coming in. And so, you know, obviously we see today it's a volatile market, but Five years ago, people weren't complaining too much. They were finding a lot of great deals and doing really well with them. But the point is, we're here today, and today is different than five or 10 years ago. Today, it's very difficult. There is a lot more attention that is going towards the lower cost of living markets, lower tax markets, Texas, Florida, even Nevada, and, and um, you know Washington State, where there's no income tax. I mean, just for a variety of reasons to be outside of the Bay Area in particular. But I guess up until today, which you know have been my recent projects in the past few years, how did I make it work in the Bay Area? My approach has very much been influenced by the value investing Warren Buffett approach where you know I don't need to swing at every deal. I can just take my time. So that brings me to one of the reasons why you know I'm working on my own, not in a fund structure. I don't have 10, 50 million, 100 million dollars equity that I need to get out the door. I can be patient and wait. You know, looking back, I ended up allowing a lot of good deals pass by, but the ones that I did pursue, I felt good about. You know, the ones that I ended up, as they say, taking a swing at, you know, with the baseball analogy, um, <laughs> I felt good about. So it's building in that margin of safety where you don't feel like you're overreaching, overstretching, requiring leverage to make the deal work. I think from a high level perspective, it's this idea of patience. It was just patience. And um, so I don't do a ton of deals every year. I do good deals every year. That's, I guess, the way I uh, try to frame it. It sounds like we have very similar approaches, especially, you know, when a ton of people were buying properties left and right and <laughs> yeah, the kinds of numbers, right? Yeah. Pre-COVID, it got out of hand, especially multifamily, you know, some of the valuations for multifamily. So, you know, I, I, could, I couldn't do a multifamily deal in 2019. I, I couldn't find a good one. I, I looked at a lot of stuff, but I couldn't find one that penciled out and worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's take an actual example. Let's take one or two examples of from beginning to end. How did you analyze a particular commercial project? Why did you decide to take on? What did you do with it? What were those scary parts? And then how did you exit if yeah, you have exited them? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, one good example is the Live Work Loft project that I invested in. It was a loft building, I mean, multiple lofts, it's essentially multifamily, but it's non-traditional in the sense that these weren't little apartment boxes. They were artist lofts that were out east of Lake Mary, almost east of Oakland, really. And at that time in 2015, Lake Merritt in Oakland was a really 
booming market, more and more attention was coming around the lake. It was starting to get already expensive. And I think just east of that, in this quiet neighborhood, there wasn't yet much attention there. And so the reason why I was able to get it early on, starting my company, Rev Projects, was because there, there wasn't as much attention in that neighborhood. And now, you know, obviously in recent years or today, there's been focus and investment, you know, all over the Bay Area and further deep East Oakland. So, but at, at that time, it wasn't that clear. So it, it's this path of growth mentality. The location was in the path of growth, you know, outside of Lake Merritt. So I acquired that and the goal was to transition these very large units, these lofts from very cheap space used kind of inefficiently. Well, not inefficiently. It was used for artists or for construction people, people who had all different sorts of crafts and hobbies in these spaces and small businesses as well. To transition that into more lifestyle living for the creative class that was moving into Oakland who appreciated better finishes and also the traditional space. I mean, it used to be a cookie factory. So the history of the space, people appreciated the personality mm -hmm. of the space, the tall ceilings. There was even the original cookie oven that mm -hmm. still remained there. So some of the tenants just appreciate some of these little features of the building that were still there, historic features, and gave it character and personality. So maintaining and preserving some of those features while just making it a much cleaner, better place to live, provided some of the basic things, you know, bike parking, put on a new roof, upgraded the kitchen interior finishes from just, they're just kind of plywood type finishes. And uh, we got a, a lot of great tenants. It was some wonderful creative tenants, some of them are running their own businesses as well, because you, you could have a uh, business license to operate a business in these uh, actually technically work live lofts is what Oakland calls it. And so, yeah, we had new tenants come into the space and it felt revitalized. And I use that word a lot. That's why I called my, my company Rev Projects, you know, to revitalize things. Yeah, I, I really felt like it was revitalized. And so it was after a couple of years, we renovated uh, most of the building, maybe two thirds of the building. It wasn't hundred percent, but most of the building and um, exited that a couple of years ago. So that was a good project. So was it zoned live work already? When you got it? Yeah, it was already zoned that way. And I, you know, I didn't need to mm. change anything about the zoning. So I, I think the major value add there was just upgrading the use, you know, just making it more efficiently used and, and presentable for the market of people that was moving into the area at that time. So yeah, it was zoned work live. Okay. And you didn't do a ton of construction. You did not make these lofts smaller. No, we, we thought about that, but... We saw the demand and we saw the rental pop from already just from improvements that we made. So we didn't feel the need to to do that. It was mostly interior renovations and common area improvements and, and base building upgrades. And then you rented it out and then you sold to? Yeah, there was another operator. He actually uh, did renovations in the area, but he didn't do much with this building. He's owned it for now couple years and it wasn't a traditional project for him. He normally would do uh, really heavy value add stuff. And he had an investor that just really liked the building and they just wanted to be in the area and continue the growth in Oakland. And so I think they felt like they would do well with it, take it more medium to longer term, take it the rest of the way. So I just got it out of its uh, kind of messier condition and, and gave it to them. 
And did you have to get a ton of permits to do everything that you had to do or was it pretty smooth? Uh, this one was more straightforward. I think it was one of my earlier projects and I needed to keep it simple. You sure. know, I, I needed to complete a round trip for my investors. I need to take a little bit less risk at that time. You know, my recent projects have been heavier projects, but you know, this one was simpler. I think that's brilliant to take something that it's pretty straightforward. You don't need a ton of permits, if any, and just add value by improving the building and exiting. That's very smart for, you know, the beginning right. of people's careers. Right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about a little more riskier project or larger project that yeah. you have recently taken on. Yeah, sure. I think the best example to talk about is the student housing project that I'm running and managing right now. It was 120 units. They're not really full units. They're like, like a dorm room. So these individual rooms in, in a building just a block south from the UC Berkeley campus. Great location. You know, I went to Berkeley and when I was a student there, I'd, I'd pass by this building walking to class every day almost and uh, and has some ground floor retail. So the goal there was to upgrade these units. I mean, really nothing about the building was touched ever for decades. They changed some carpet here or there, but that's about it. Over the course of the last year that I've owned it, you know, I, we've renovated over 70 out of the 120 units, completely changing the finishes in, in these rooms. And now, so speaking of permits, you know, now we have uh, a permit to build a communal kitchen in the building. They didn't even have uh, cooking facilities in the building, which was wow. odd. Yeah. So, you know, student housing, you got students, there's a lot of food in the area. They got meal plans and they found other ways, but. Finally, I'm building a kitchen. It's going to be a large, beautiful kitchen in, in the middle of the building. Well, actually, that one was interesting because we had to take out one of the rooms and Berkeley doesn't like it when you take out housing for a probably good reason. But yeah. um, So I needed an administrative use permit in order to even take out the room in the first place. And so now that got approved and now I'm working on the building permit so I can build that kitchen. Recently, we changed out all the lights in the hallways to LED lights. It used to look like kind of like a ghost hotel, one of those haunted hotel movies, <laughs> you know, so walking down the hallways. So you know, got brand new LED lights uh, strung up in all the hallways in recent weeks. And we're going to paint and carpet, obviously, all the areas. We're going to redo the lobby. But the main value add was, uh, you know, the rent pop, especially pre-COVID. Yeah. I think the units were getting, you know, these are small rooms, right? So they're getting like $800 on average per unit. But then after the rent, even just a simple renovation, we got it up to 1300 on average from 800 to 1300. I mean, percentage wise, wow. yeah, percentage wise, that was a huge pop 50%. just for, yeah, for, for the, the type of work that we did. So uh, that was pre COVID, but now uh, we're not getting those rents, you know, simply because the uh, university is not in session Right. Well, I mean, it's online. School just started a few days ago and everything's online. And what we've seen is that though the classes are online, about I, my guess is around like half the students have returned back to Berkeley and mm. and then many of them have stayed home, you know, wherever they are. But so there is more activity recently and we've actually maintained the occupancy in the building at around around 80%, I believe, uh, wow. today. So, you know, we're doing we're doing okay. It's not the worst case scenario. And so, yeah, it's a tough time renting and leasing in the, in the student housing market in many of these universities. Um, but, you know, I have hope for uh, universities not disappearing. The higher, higher education market is going to change, obviously. 
uh, but I think we'll be okay with uh, some of the you know tier one universities. If you're in the Bay Area, you know that would be Stanford or Berkeley, and other cities with more tier one universities. That I think their student housing will will be okay. And it's it's just a matter of if the classes go back into session, if they go from online to back onto campus, you know the demand will be there again. And so I think it's just a matter of time. We'll just get through this tricky period right now. Agree. Was there anything that you did in particular to make sure that the rents were still coming in and people were back in these units or advertising? Yeah. You mean like in recent months during coronavirus? Yeah. During during COVID, yes. Yeah. um, Well, actually a few things. So number one, um, you know, people were concerned about health concerns in group living situations. And so mm-hmm. health and safety were most important on people's minds and on our minds. And so I'm mean, here are just some of the basic examples of things that we changed at the property to alleviate people's concerns. So we required face masks inside the building, even in the common areas outside of your rooms. We encourage people to not crowd in elevators. We installed a little bit more microbial resistant door handles in all the common areas. I mean, it's not going to be a perfect protection against uh, COVID or viruses, but, you know, it has similar effects that copper has in protection of uh, microbial organisms. We installed touchless faucets in the bathrooms. There's even a touchless toilet flush products that we installed for the toilets. You can just wave your hand and it flushes. So uh, just a lot of these little operational changes and some physical changes that uh, give people more comfort. When people move into a room, similar to what a hotel would do, we put this tag on the door that it breaks, you know, kind of like you break new packaging. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. enter your room, it it tells people that no one's been inside this room since it's been cleaned, you know, Mm -hmm. and sanitized. And we've sanitized all the surfaces. So, you know, everybody has had to do something different during this COVID season. Those are some of the changes that that we've had to make. Making people feel safe coming back again, that's what we did. In terms of advertising, we really built up our social media. Uh, I have a good management team and they they are constantly posting on Facebook, Instagram and putting out little specials there, little treats or a little discounts. And we've had to discount our rates for the fall and that's just simply because, again, you know, you got half the school that's not even on campus. But we'll see what happens in the spring. I don't think anybody can even predict what's going to happen next month. But uh, let's see what happens in in January, February when I go to the spring semester. And maybe we might be on a better track, we all hope. Wow, Eric, this is so incredibly helpful. Thank you for sharing all of this. Is there anything else that you think is important for our audience to know? Yeah, you know, I think what what I like to share about my my journey was, uh, you know, I guess this is more just review of what I said earlier. You, you know, learn from knowledgeable people. Uh, you take a risk and you you step out onto your own. You know, you start your own entrepreneurial journey. And what I tell people, it's like if you want to set sail for new land, you want to start your own company. Uh, you got to leave the land behind you before you mm-hmm. can see the land in front of you. You know, and so that that does that doesn't feel good. You know, when you're in the middle yeah. of the ocean, looking, <laughs> yeah, looking which direction? When am I ever going to see land again? But yeah, that discomfort really is a motivation and and pushes you. And that's what pushed me to 
uh, achieve what I achieved with the Rev projects and and some of my projects up to this date. And um, yeah, I'm constantly uh, searching for the next project to work on, and it's a risk to make each step. So that's what I want to share with with your listeners. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, I think the best way is take a look at my uh, website, the Rev Projects website. So that's R-E-V, V like Victor Projects with an S at the end, revprojects.com. And you can also email me. Yeah, I'd be glad to hear from from people. I'm at Eric, E-R-I-C, at revprojects.com. That's the best way to contact me. Eric, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Incredible story. Really appreciate it. And yeah. I hope to, to have you here soon again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our very short and straightforward newsletter on our website, montecarlorei.com. And if you know anyone who is interested in learning more about commercial real estate investing, make sure to share this podcast with them. And I will see you next time.